Oh, man. It is so good to be with you guys. Boyton, I want to welcome you into the room as well. Everyone joining us at Church at Home. Church at Lakeworth. Can we show some love to Boyton and everyone joining us at Church at Home? So good. Oh, I'm fired up to be here. If you love your church at all of our campuses, if you love your church, would you just lift up a shout of praise in this place? Ah, boy, and over church at home, wherever you're joining us from, man, we pray you're blessed. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey. I absolutely love this place. I say that constantly, but I, I really mean it. And I hope you love your church, too. Uh, I'm honored, thrilled, excited to be speaking this morning. I'm going to wrap up our series, Rationalize. How many of you guys have just loved this series? You've loved it. It's encouraged you. I love Rationalize, too, because it was like a dad joke built into the title. We were like, what can we name this series Rationalize? Do you see what we did there? Like, their lives that we... All right, you weren't, you weren't with me on that one. Okay. We thought it was funny. All the dads have preached this series, too. Just celebrated Father's Day. We thought that was a, a fun little joke to spin into there. But we really are looking at these lies that have crept into our lives that we rationalize really quickly because... Ration is in the very word of rational, and it means a portion of. There's always like a portion, a little bit of the truth inside of these things. And we've taken a look at three uh, over the past three weeks that have just been rock solid. Pastor Junior kicked us off. How many of you guys love Pastor Junior? Man, he brought a word. He addressed the rational lie that the list is more important than our rest. So convicting. If you've missed any bit of it, go back, watch online. Week two was our very own Pastor Scott. If you love your lead pastor, make some noise, all right? We love Pastor Scott. He addressed this rational lie. This one is a sneaky one that sneaks into our life pretty quickly. But we believe this, that little choices have little consequences or little rewards. And we've learned very quickly that it's actually, they have massive consequences and can have massive rewards with them as well. And then week three, my brother Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan brought an amazing word last week about the lie, the rational lie of comparison and how comparison is the thief of joy. Anyone convicted by that message last week? Man, I pray that God is convicting and changing hearts in this room. And it's my privilege to wrap up this series, but before I get to my rational lie, I wanna, I wanna have a quick talk because I went to a, a pastor's kind of church leaders conference recently and their amazing female preacher spoke uh, on, on one of the last nights and rocked us with a message. But before she dove into her message, she gave the entire audience, I mean, this is church leaders from all over the country, church staff, this incredible uh, kind of pre-op talk, she called it, because there was some surgery that was needed in the audience. And I'm gonna just for a moment take that liberty and say this is a little pre-op talk. I just wanna prepare you. Uh, you're already getting nervous. I hear I sweaty palms. I hear some, yeah, you're like, oh God, why did we come to church this day? All right, honey, I told you we should have stayed home, watched the church at home. Because I think there's some surgery that needs to happen in the room. And over at Boynton and those joining us to church at home. I believe there's some surgery that needs to happen. We're actually gonna look at a rational lie that has crept down so deep into our hearts that surgery is needed. The Bible would actually address this particular lie in sin as a root. That it's dug down so far into our being, into our soul, and it's found a comfy place down there and established a home and has actually formed a root. So I may say some things that step on some toes this morning or offend you, but church, I want you to hear this, and I tell you this over and over, I love you guys so much. And I think the most loving thing I could do today is tell you the truth because the truth will set you 
The truth will set you free. Over at Boynton, the truth will set you free. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe cut you this morning a little bit, but here's your pre-op talk. I may cut you, but any surgeon knows this. Any good surgeon knows this, that sometimes you have to cut in order to remove something that could potentially be killing you. See, many of you may not know this about me, and I, I can't even believe this. I've been here almost seven years, and I don't think I've really shared this from the pulpit before. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but I'm actually a cancer survivor. I, I don't talk about that a ton. Yeah, you know, you can give, give God praise already. Um... I don't talk a lot about it because I don't remember a ton of it. I was four years old going on five. I had a routine kind of checkup at the doctor's office. You know when the doctor would like push on your stomach just to make sure everything was in the proper place and looking good and everything. And some of my earliest memories are actually from this ordeal. And so I remember him doing that and then looking at my mom and saying, Mrs. Renee, could you step out? I need to have a conversation with you. And what he would later tell my mom is, hey, I was, I was pushing on Joshua's stomach, and, and I felt like something pushed back. Now, there, I'm not, there's no alien or anything in there weird, all right, before you're like, oh, push back, is there some, no, it's not a tumor. Well, actually, sorry, bad, bad joke, bad joke, bad joke. Here's, uh, here's what he would say, though. Hey, I think you should go get an extra MRI just to, just to check him out just to see kind of what's going on down there. And uh, my mom obviously panicked, you know, I'm rushed into x-ray MRI and through a series of tests, we'd find out uh, that I had a cancerous tumor on the back of my spine called a neuroblastoma and it was about the size of a softball. And so, yeah, as you can imagine, that was shocking. It was, you know, what do we do? I was rushed into immediate uh, emergency surgery and then had rounds of chemo and radiation. And you know the doctors, I mean, and I love, oh my goodness, I love doctors so much. I'm so thankful for great uh, physicians and surgeons, those that have the desire to heal people. I think that's a God-given desire that God gives them. But the doctors, man, they told my parents, like, the worst news, right? They always kind of read you like the worst-case scenario, so they're telling my parents this. Well, we, we don't know if Joshua will even survive the surgery because of how large the incision has to be. Now, this is 30, 31 plus years ago now. Medicine was not where it is now. And they take, look at my parents and say, we're going to have to cut him hip to hip as a four or five-year-old. My shepherd, my, my boy, is almost four. And I can't imagine them telling me that. And then they're like, hey, well, if he survives the surgery, he'll probably be bound to a wheelchair because the nature of the surgery, the tumor's on his spine. That gets a little risky. They look at my parents, and, and you guys will all appreciate this. They, they're also like, hey, the, the medicine that we'll have to give him to counteract the chemo and radiation uh, may not allow him to have children later in life. God has a funny sense of humor, though, right? <laughs> I got four of those bad boys, all right? Three ladies and a boy. That didn't stop any of that, it's all right? But I'm here to tell you today, we serve a miracle-working, wonder-working God. Because <laughs> I obviously survived surgery, lived on uh, just an incredible life, played sports, all of it, married kids, because God is a, a miracle-working God. But I want to tell you this, I do have my scars. I do have my scars. Now I've gained a little weight, so it just looks like a fat roll on my stomach. But 
I still have a, about an 18-inch scar across my stomach. But here's the thing. My scars don't remind me of the pain of the surgery. They remind me of the victory that I have over cancer. My, my scars don't remind me of the pain. It actually brings me back to a point of victory. And I love a good scar story. How many guys are in the room today, man? Come on, give me a shout over at Boyan. Fellas, yeah, all right. I love the deep, I don't know what we do there. We always make some sort of weird man noise. I love it, though. Guys love a good scar story. I don't know if ladies are like this or not, but guys, man, when you start showing scars, it becomes like this measuring contest where we're like, dude, check that one out. I fell off a dirt bike, arm flew off. They had to reattach it. You tell the craziest stories. Half of it's not even true. <laughs> I, would, I would joke around with my parents after the, the surgery because I'm like, what am I going to tell my friends? What am I going to tell? And the best story that I came up with was a shark tried to bite me in half. That was a pretty sweet, because I had this nasty incision. I was like, that's kind of a cool story. I, I realize it's morbid right now, like you're, you know, cancer survivor telling that. But I wanted to come up with a great story. But it actually reminds me of a story from Scripture, and I think this is so interesting. When Jesus is resurrected and appears to his disciples, he doesn't appear to all of them right away. There's a group that's kind of hung back, and they're a little discouraged. One mainly that's hung back is Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas. Poor guy. I mean, like, he's known for history, through history, as Doubting Thomas. But Thomas looked at the cross and looked at all of what happened and said, I do not believe that someone could come back from that. The cross was brutal. Like, how does somebody come back from that? And he kind of flippantly tells the other disciples that have told him, we've seen the resurrected Christ. He, he looks brand new. He even looked a little different, the scripture tells us, because they had a hard time recognizing who he is. And they're like, this is amazing. He's back. And Thomas flippantly says, unless I see his scars, unless I feel the holes in his hand and in his side, I will not believe. Thomas liked a good scar story. And Jesus in his kindness shows up and does exactly that. He shows Thomas. Like, like, think about this. Why wouldn't they have asked, like, Jesus, is it really you? When it came to that question, is he really back? Is he really, is he really uh, resurrected? Did all that happen? Why not ask Jesus, like, dude, do a miracle. Walk on water. Do that thing where you do the, the loaves and the fish and they multiply. We're hungry, right? We're, the hard times have come. The Romans are really cracking down. A great meal would be awesome. Turn, do, do the whole thing with water into wine. We could really use some wine right now. But no. Thomas says, show me his scars. It's important to note here, and we're getting somewhere. Trust me, just hold on. We're getting to the rational line here. It's important to know this, is that Thomas was not shown Jesus' wounds. Jesus didn't show Thomas' wounds. He showed him his scars. It's important because there's a difference between wounds and scars. It's important to note that because there's a difference. And I see so many wounded people walking around nowadays, wounded by so many things in this world. But we can't keep on living wounded. We can't keep trying to do life just bleeding out onto everyone and everything around us. 
And because we've been wounded, there's been an incision made where this creepy thing creeps in called unforgiveness and bitterness, and it seeps its way down. And here is where we find our rational lie. Here it is for you if you want to write it down. The rational lie we're going to address today, unforgiveness and bitterness can exist in my life with no effect. I told you this one was going to be a little heavier. This one's going to be a little bit more serious. But we might not ever say this in reality. But because we've been wounded, we absolutely live and believe and walk out our life like this is true. Unforgiveness and bitterness have kind of become the acceptable sins of our culture. We may not ever say that, but we believe it to be true and we've bought into that rational lie, and we think, no, you know what? Everything else, God can have every access that he wants to my life and every other area, but don't touch my unforgiveness or my bitterness. I just can't do it. And I believe that it can live in there, and it can kind of get a comfy home. And the Bible says it gets down so deep, there's a root of bitterness. And we believe it has no effect on our lives, and it's just so not true. Look at Hebrews 12. This, the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 14 and 15. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We could preach a whole message on that, by the way, especially in the culture we live, right? If we just we were striving for peace and we coupled that with the holiness that God expects out of us, to walk separate, right, to walk set apart, that's what holy means, People would see Jesus in us. I could, I could preach a whole, whole message on that, but I, I guess I won't. I will, we'll go to verse 15. Are you with me? Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Everybody say many. Many become defiled. That root of bitterness. I hear people say all the time, this is believer and non-believer alike, Christ follower and non-Christ follower. I could never forgive him or her. I could never face that person again. I could never let my heart go to that place. I could never forgive my father or my sister or my boss or that bully. I could never and I love that the Old and the New Testament connect and they're so congruent and cohesive. The writer of Hebrews here is actually giving a nod to an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy 29. It's up on the screen for you. It says this in verse 18. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Here's the nod to that verse. Make sure there is no roots. Everyone say roots among you that produces such bitter poison. Bitter roots. Verse 19, when such a person hears these words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves thinking, I will be safe, even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the water land as well as the dry. Let me tell you what the writer is essentially saying here. God has a way at which he wants things done. Here he's talking about the worship of other gods, right? The, the writer in Hebrews is kind of giving the nod to bitterness creeping into our lives. God has a way as to which he wants things done. And when a person, when he or her thinks to himself or herself, nah, I'm good, I'll keep going my own way, they bring disaster on their life. And check this out, no matter how healthy or unhealthy they feel. 
The Bible says that it actually brings disaster on the watered land and the dry land. It's a picture of health and flourishing. What a warning to believers in this room and at Boy and those hearing me on church at home. Unforgiveness and bitterness. They don't care who they're taking, healthy, unhealthy, no matter how you feel. Some people are like, no, I'm good, I'm good. And, and you see their life maybe in other areas, you feel like it's flourishing, but they have this one toxic part of their soul that they've let unforgiveness and bitterness weave down into. And the Bible says, no, no, disaster is coming for both uh, who, who think they're healthy and, and unhealthy. Bitterness and, and unforgiveness is no respecter of persons. And he says, there's a way at which God would want things done, and we say, yeah, nah. This is, any, any Philly people in the room? Anyone from Philadelphia in the room? One of my best buds on the planet, Vinny, he goes to this church. He's from Philly, thick Philly accent, like just the best. Me and him hit it right off. Uh, we've been friends for almost six years now. Love that guy. But he, he says this all the time. This is like a Philly thing, yeah, nah. It's like the nice way of agreeing and then saying no at the same time. And the scripture reminded me of that as I was reading it. These people are like, oh, you know what? Uh, I'll be safe even though I persist in going my own way. They're essentially telling God, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, nah. <laughs> like, I agree. Like, yeah, it all sounds great, but no, I'm going to do my own thing. And it actually brings disaster into their life. Here's a little nod to our freedom curriculum. Any freedom people in the house or over at Boyan, over at Boyan Church at home? Come on. Freedom curriculum. Here's what it says about unforgiveness. Harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Ooh, I told you I was gonna step on some toes, sorry. It does much greater harm to us than the person we refuse to forgive. It's like drinking poison and saying, man, I hope they die. But it's actually harming uh, so how do I know I have unforgiveness or bitterness in my life? I want to kind of give you a litmus test that I, I, I draw up this th or drew up these three questions to kind of ask yourself. And this is how you would kind of identify this in your life if you're maybe harboring unforgiveness and bitterness. The first is this, is the wound still tender? Is the wound still tender? Is it still a little bit sore where you were wounded? Is it, is it still bleeding a bit? I don't want to get too descriptive here, but are you still bleeding out a little bit? Are you so offendable that just a little bump can set you off? A little unkind word can just light that fuse. A little post on social media can just make you explode. Just the sight of that person, it just sets your thoughts on fire. That's, that's not a scar that we're dealing with. That's a wound, and it needs to be healed. Is it still sore? Is it still tender? The second question I would ask you is this. Is there denial of the pain? This is a big one, especially for fellas. I'm looking at you guys over at Boy and Church at Home in the room. This is a big one. We say and act as if the offense doesn't matter and we sweep it under the rug, right? We act like there's no pain. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but blah, 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 blah. What a load of nonsense. The word of God tells me that life and death are actually in the power of the tongue. No, 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 that wounded. Those words, those action, or even the inaction of others, it hurt me deeply. 
But people who have unforgiveness and bitterness that have allowed that root to settle in, there's just a denial of the pain. And here's what I want to tell you. I want to pause and say this. What was done to you, said to you, maybe not done that you needed done to you, was not okay. I love you enough to tell you, it's not okay. I'm not saying that, that we just sweep everything under the rug and act like it didn't happen. But I will challenge you with this, and I say this with so much love, it does need to stop bleeding eventually, or you will bleed out. That area does need healing, and it does need to stop hurting eventually. My, my scar doesn't remind me of the pain of the wound anymore. It reminds me of the victory that I have. Some of us in this room and over at Boynton and watching at church home, you need a deep healing to take place. But it will not come when we deny that there's pain there. When you go to the ER with any sort of broken bone or, or, broken bone or pain or any sort of wound, what do they always ask you? What's your pain level? What a bizarre question to ask somebody in distress to. I don't know. You're giving me a test right now, like one to 10. I'm not sure it kills. Like, I don't know. Why are they doing that? Because if we deny there's any sort of pain there, if we try to act tough, we'll never get the healing that we need. Come on, somebody. That set free somebody in this room, a man in this room. Come on. Don't act like it didn't hurt. Address that there is pain there. And go to Jesus for healing. The third question is this. Is there a lack of peace in your life? Is your life marked by turmoil, chaos, emotional confusion? It's just all over the place. I see this so present in bitter people. Their, their life just seems to be in chaos. There's just so much drama all the time because they are exploding. It comes out one way or another. Bitterness always finds its way out. And, and, and they just, their life seems to be marked by this chaos and confusion and drama. And it seems, drama seems to follow them. Have you ever noticed that? Someone's struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness. It's just like, it's, stuff is always happening in their life. They're always mad about something, offended by something. There's just zero peace, disorder everywhere. And can I tell you this in such love and kindness? God is not a God of disorder. He wants our lives to be ordered and he wants peace. Check this out. Isaiah 32. This won't be up on the screen for you. Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. That's right living. Righteousness is simply right living in God's eyes. The effect of it will be peace. Everybody say peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. I looked at the scriptures I was studying to prepare this and I just looked at it and was like, man, People struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness, this thing that's created a root, I see the exact opposite of those three things in their lives. There's no peace whatsoever. There's chaos. Instead of quietness, their, their life is loud and it's chaotic and it's, it just seems to be exploding everywhere and there's no trust whatsoever. But God's plan, God's design for us, peace, quietness, and trust forever, he says. Unforgiveness wreaks havoc not only on our spiritual life. I looked this up. Uh, I love how the spiritual and the physical are always connected. Uh, a Jewish person back in this day reading all of this would have never separated the physical and the spiritual. They all went hand in hand. I looked this up. This is from the Mayo Clinic. 
the results of unforgiveness and bitterness in our life. They've done studies on this stuff. High blood pressure, mental health issues as de- as such as depression, anxiety, loss of sleep and appetite, a weakened immune system, and the list goes on and on and on. But there is hope. <laughs> Look at your neighbor, tell them there is hope. We're getting to the good news here. But before I get to the antidote, I want to address something really quickly and tell you what forgiveness is not. This is critical to know. This changed my world and changed my perspective of bitterness and forgiveness and unforgiveness when I learned this truth. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Man, as a pastor, I long to see people reconciled. I, I believe, man, I always long for it. If we ever counsel anybody or have pastoral mentoring with people, we're always pushing people towards reconciliation. But I'm telling you, I've come to realize that forgiveness does not always equal reconciliation. In fact, there's some situations that I would encourage people not to go back to. You don't reconcile in an extremely abusive relationship. I don't tell any woman to go back to some abusing husband. That's not healthy or good for her or her kids. I would even say this in the room or over at Boynton, you have toxic relationships that you've walked away from. You can forgive those people, but that doesn't mean you jump right back into relationship and reconcile with everybody. They were tearing you down. They were poison to your life. I'm not gonna go drink the vial of poison again. That's just not what I'm gonna do. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. Here's another shameless plug for our freedom curriculum. This is so good. This rocked me. It says this, we often make reconciliation a caveat for our forgiveness, saying this, that when they apologize, I'll forgive them. But in doing so, we actually become a hostage to the very one who's wronged us because it leaves our freedom up to the other person. Ooh, ooh, that got me good. In doing so, we actually become a hostage. There's bondage that comes with it, thinking I need reconciliation, they better apologize and then I'll forgive. It doesn't work like that. But how, so how do we defeat this thing? How do we defeat this lie and overcome unforgiveness and bitterness. I want to give you three practical things if you're taking notes. As I was studying for this, this is, this is unanimous across the board, too. I love this. Uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, uh, spiritual and secular, we're both saying this. This first point, I absolutely love, and it's, and it's difficult, but we need to do it. It's this. It's acknowledge the pain. I've got to go to the root. I've got to acknowledge that there is pain there. I can't live in denial any longer. I've got to tell the doctor where it hurts and how bad it hurts if I'm going to get some healing. Aren't you glad that your Savior is the great physician, by the way? Ooh, that, that's beginning, it's going to become more real to some people in this room. He's the great physician. We go to the root, so we acknowledge the issue. Address those words, actions, or inactions of those involved. And say these words, it hurt, Period. You don't need to say anything else. It wounded me, period. Don't justify, don't rationalize, don't even rationalize for the other person. It wounded me. It was painful, period. And some of us may get a little bit of freedom right at that first point because you're starting to realize it's okay, I can acknowledge that there was pain there. 
It's amazing to me to watch in our freedom curriculum how much freedom some people in their 50s, 60s, and even 70s receive because they've held things. Let me tell you this in this room and at Boynton and those joining us at church at home, people have held on for this for too long, for, for decades. Everything else in your life seems to be changing and you got some things that you're surrendering to God, but I'm telling you, you touch people's unforgiveness and bitterness. They're like, hey, don't touch that. I could never. And we see God through his powerful Holy Spirit work in people's lives in that curriculum and slowly chip away and slowly peel the onion back. And I've seen 60 and 70-year-old men on their knees at the front of this altar here weeping, releasing that thing of unforgiveness. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life was a man into his uh, late 50s, early 60s. <clears throat> I prayed with him at freedom over this very thing. And he collapsed into my arms and sobbed. And I sobbed. And then he collapsed further to his knees. And I collapsed to my knees with him and sobbed and sobbed, and he released, and he stood up from that, that moment of prayer, and I remember him looking me in the eye. He said, I feel like I could fly. I feel like I could fly. I've held on to this thing for so long and finally released it. The second thing is this. Very practical, but it's, it's gonna be difficult, and i am tell you this before I even say it. This is like the... The root killer right here. But you empathize with the one who hurt you. Oh, that was hard to even come out of my mouth. That's even hard to say. Empathize with the one who hurt you. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. But Nelson Mandela said this, forgiving others is like liberating your own soul. <laughs> forgiving, forgiving others liberates the soul. I realize that when I empathize with people, I realize this truth, and you can write this down, hurting people will always hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. I, if I can empathize just for a moment and see that person through the eyes of God, I can realize in that moment, hurting people just hurt people. I am hurting so badly from what they did because they are hurting so badly. I'm hurting so badly because they are hurting so badly and hurting people hurt people. I'm not saying that what they did was right. By any means, it was not. But if I can empathize with somebody just for a minute and do what my Bible tells me to do and what God urges me to do, then maybe I can get to that point where I actually begin to pray for my enemies. I bless them. And do good to them. I know that's hard. Those beginning prayers may not be pretty for that person. Let me tell you what. But God's big enough. He can handle it. God's big enough. He can handle it. How, how does that empathy look? Maybe you could try to see that person who wounded you through the eyes of Jesus. And say, I, I know they wounded me. Because they're wounded. Maybe I could begin to pray for their healing, bless them, and ultimately try to do good to them is what Scripture tells us to do to those who've hurt or offended or have become our enemy in some way. The third is this, and this is probably the hardest. Choose to release the person from the debt. 
Ultimately, when push comes to shove, we actually believe that that person owes us something. We're owed something, and we're holding on to that debt against them. But I'm praying through the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd be able to release them of that debt today. And you could honestly pray what Jesus told his disciples to pray over and over and over again. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. That scripture, when I was studying this, became so much more real. Why was that term used? Forgive us our debt, our trespasses, as we forgive those who are indebted or trespassed against us. Well, because that's the story of the gospel. (laughs) The story of the gospel is one of forgiveness and healing. If we're going to get there, though, and this might be one of the harder things I have to say today, we need to shift our mentality from a victim mentality to a victor mentality. I'm telling you, what was done to you was not right. Boy, and I'm speaking to you, what was done to you was not right. But we cannot be the victim forever. We have to shift our mentality to a victor mentality in Christ. And here's what I'm saying. This isn't you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. This is not your victory. It's his victory. Here's what the scriptures tell us. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This set me free so much when I realized this, the rationalize of unforgiveness and bitterness, when I realized this, that forgiveness, releasing these people of the debt, was much more vertical than it was horizontal. What I mean by that is this, it was much more about loving obedience to Jesus and what he's called me to do as a believer, then it was reconciliation horizontally with people. And when I got this right, I began to get this right. I've shared this before, but me and my mother had had a, a really rough relationship through my teen years, I'm sure. All those mamas in the room that you have a crazy teenager that's driving you nuts, they might become a pastor one day. So just give them a break, all right? <laughs> give them a break. but my mom I would come home from high school and and my mom and I would just scream at each other some days I don't even know what about to be honest with you she would start and I would just ramp it up I'd add fuel to the fire say awful things to each other and I remember I was on the mission field as a missionary (laughs) again your kid could turn out to be a missionary too look at that you know and I remember God convicting me of that and I wrote my parents a letter from the mission field just apologizing for the things that I had said and done, offering forgiveness and, and, and desiring reconciliation with them for some of these things. They wrote back the most incredible email that I've ever received in my life. I wish I had it to read it to you today, but it's too long and I'd probably sob all the way through it. But I remember the healing that came when we addressed those things. And what I ultimately realized was this, and this is my last point, As Christ followers, we're called to forgive because the forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. And this is not about reconciliation. This is not about horizontal. It's actually about setting you free. It's about vertical obedience to Jesus and what he's called you to do. Because he's told us this in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. These are not my words. These are words in red. These are from Jesus' mouth. 
recorded in this beautiful word. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Yikes. I'm going to leave that right there. Because the forgiven forgive. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This is hard. It's perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, hello, the bully husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it, he says, only, I think, by remembering where we stand. By meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, and I'm almost done. Get rid of all bitterness. Everyone say all. All bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. Why is bitterness first? Because all the other stuff comes right after it. Rage and anger and brawling and slander. You're just defiling people with your mouth constantly, along with every form of malice. What's the antidote? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave who? You. Forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven us. I want to end with a story. This rocked me. A former U.S. Navy hospital corpsman and third-generation NYPD officer, newly married with a three-month-old at home, Steve McDonald was shot in the line of duty by a 15-year-old Shavad Jones, who he was questioning about a bicycle theft in Central Park. Officer McDonald and a co-worker were on patrol in Central Park because there had been reports about a robbery in the park while attempting to question Jones McDonald noticed there was something in a sock that the boy was carrying. Before he knew it, McDonald was shot three times. The first bullet hit him in the head above his eye. The second hit his throat and caused him to have a speaking disability. And the third shattered his spine, paralyzing him from the neck down and leaving him a quadriplegic and in need of a ventilator. McDonald shocked the press by several months after he recovered publicly expressed forgiveness to the young boy. Expressed forgiveness to the young Jones for his actions. McDonald is quoted saying this, I tell people all the time, the only worse thing than a bullet to my spine would have been to nurture revenge in my heart. Such an attitude would have extended my tragic injury, or injury into my soul, hurting my wife, my son, and others even more. Check this out. It's bad enough that the physical effects are permanent, but at least I can choose to prevent spiritual injury. Two years after the incident, Steve would receive a phone call from a prison cell. It was Shavad on the other end. He has to speak not only to Steve, but the whole family. And he went on to apologize for the shooting and asked Steve, his wife, and his son for forgiveness. This is a picture of Steve with his priest who helped walk him through the tragedy and his faith, he said, held him so strong. Here's what his quote is in a book that he wrote called Why Forgive. It was God's love that put me back together. 
That is forgiveness. Thank God that they could reconcile over the phone. I know that's a beautiful kind of bow on the end of the story. But I love his quote. What would have been worse than a, a shot to the spine would have been harboring a revengeful spirit. He said, at least I can avoid spiritual injury. I wonder how many of us could let go today. Could release people from a debt that you believe that they owe you. And how much freedom you could experience. Boy, in Lake Worth in the room, all of those joining us at church at home, what would it look like if as a church we got this right? I want to close with this too. Maybe some of us feel like we can't forgive because we've never received the forgiveness from Jesus in the first place. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't give away forgiveness if you don't have it. And in just a moment, one of our pastors at each of our locations is going to come out and give you a chance if you've never made that decision for yourself to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Because remember, our Savior, with some of his last breaths that he breathes on this planet, looks down at a group of people who did not deserve his forgiveness, who had murdered him, wrongly accused him, and he utters these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus ultimately dies and offers forgiveness of sins freely to all who would believe in him. So maybe you can forgive, fill in the blank today. Maybe you could receive the forgiveness for Jesus for the first time over your heart and life. And that forgiveness would allow you to forgive others because the forgiven forgive. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us, church. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes at both of our campuses, church at home. I want to pray and then I'll be out. Father, we love you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the beautiful cross. Oh, and Lord, we look upon your scars today and we see that we, it's possible. <laughs> There's resurrection power in those scars. There's healing and freedom that come from your wounds and your wounds alone. By your stripes, your word says we've been healed. Would your spirit, Holy Spirit, fall on this room and over at Boynton and all of those joining us online. And would the forgiven be able to forgive today? Would those that need healing from a deep wound, would it come today, Lord? Would, would the root of bitterness be uprooted and would freedom and life and peace and quietness and trust come in its place? And we pray all that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.